took me 20 years to become a Taekwondo Olympian. It took me another year to become a Winter Olympian in cross-country skiing. A remarkable achievement for Peter Tafatafua. Now for Tokyo 2020, I'm aiming to become a three-time three-sport Olympian of sprint kayak. 200 meters, Tokyo 2020, I'm coming for you. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was two-time Olympian and shirtless Tongan Peter Taufatafoa. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel podcast. We find the best people to talk about the biggest Olympic talking points every single week. If you love the Olympics, subscribe now, wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel podcast. The Rio 2016 opening ceremony completely changed his life. The internet went absolutely wild for Peter Tao Fatafoa. He was the guy who came out with no shirt on, slathered in coconut oil and jaws dropped across the globe. He went from unknown to in-demand appearances on the Today Show on NBC and countless other media outlets followed. He was knocked out though in the opening round of the Taekwondo competition but his story does not end there. He took on one of the most gruelling sports for his next mission to represent Tonga at the Winter Olympic Games in South Korea in cross-country skiing. He managed to qualify, but only after fighting avalanches, actual avalanches, getting into thousands of dollars worth of debt and putting up with plenty of critics taking a pop at him. Obviously, once he got to Pyeongchang 2018, at the opening ceremony, he had no top on, even though it was minus 20 degrees Celsius. Now, he's back with a new mission and wants to represent Tonga at Tokyo 2020, this time in the sport of kayaking. I woke up very early one morning to give Peter a call in Tonga, where he was sat with a shirt on this time. I wanted to get to know the full story behind the topless Tongan. Olympic Channel Podcast. Hello, Peter. What's the weather like there? It's uh, it's been perfect weather here. Um, it's very sunny, but we're coming into the evening now, so it's nice and cool, which is uh, which is exactly what we want after after warm a warm day. Uh, Peter, can you just describe where you're sat at the moment? So uh, I'm sitting outside my, my house on the main island of Tongatapu. Uh, we have a beautiful, uh, a beautiful landscape outside our house. There's birds. We're, we're right on the lagoon. Uh, and there's, there's so much green everywhere. It's, uh, it gives me a lot of energy being, being here. So if you go all the way back to when you grew up as a kid, what did your parents do and did you did you ever get any sporting inspiration from them uh, so my when i grew up my my father was a uh, my father was a farmer and my mother was a nurse so she worked at the local hospital and uh 
they they weren't particularly uh, sporty, but they always they always allowed us and they always wanted us to to try all different things in you know, in sports, academics. And the moment I think that you decided to become become an Olympian, or certainly one of the big moments around the Olympics, I think, was when you kind of met Peo Wolfgram. Is that right? And for anyone who doesn't know, he was a he was a boxer, right? Wasn't he? And and he uh, he came back. And Tonga's only um, Olympic medal. I felt like I met him, but uh, he had he had just returned back from the '96 Olympics, and he he drove past. Uh, drove past me. I was one of the kids that lined the streets all the way from the airport to to the town of Tonga, and we uh, we held up different letters in his name. And I held out up the P and I thought that he, he looked over and he waved at me as he was coming along on his float with his big shiny silver medal. And that was the moment where I, as a 12, 13 year old kid, I, I said, I, I'm gonna be an Olympian one day. I'm gonna take Tonga to the Olympics for, uh, uh, for Taekwondo. It never left from that moment. It was, it was something that was so constant and consistent throughout my life. It, it really didn't matter what was happening in my life, all the challenges, the struggles. That Olympic, that Olympic voice just stayed in my head, and it and it just kept saying, "You're going to be an Olympian." <laughs> and so to 2016, that moment of eventual qualification, you're up against a New Zealander who had a good record against you. What was that feeling like, knowing that you would be an Olympian? Yeah, so it was uh, it was uh, twenty years and twenty years of wanting to become the Olympian, and that that moment was was I would describe as my greatest my greatest moment that I've ever experienced. People ask me about the opening ceremony at the Rio Olympics, and it it was fantastic, but nothing comes close to the moment that I that I qualified for the you know for to become the, uh, a summer Olympian. It was, and it came down to golden points. So we had the same score, three all in the final, which means that we have one more round and whoever throws that first, whoever scores that first kick, they win. And I, I, I left the third round and my coach asked me if I, if I really wanted it. And I said, uh, I said, coach, this is ours. I'm telling you now we're, we're going to the Olympics. And I walked in there and I, I don't remember Anything that happened, all I remember is looking at the screen uh, and I saw New, uh, New Zealand zero, Tonga one, and I couldn't hold my tears back uh, because that was 20 years of, of hard work and it just, I could, I could just breathe, breathe easy that uh, all that work was worthwhile. When did you decide to go shirtless? What was the moment after that? emotional moment that you thought um this I'm, I'm gonna make the most of my opportunity being a flag bearer we didn't know that i'd become a flag bearer until closer towards the olympics it wasn't even you know it didn't even factor in but i i'd spoken to my coach and and we had said that you know if the if the opportunity to be the flag bearer came up then i was going to carry the flag of of a thousand years of history i wasn't going to carry I wasn't going to carry a recent history. I was going to carry my ancestors' heart in that flag, and and I was going to do it the way that they would. And so we, um, you know, we 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 looked at the the history of what ancient Polynesians wore, and uh, just to fine tune and make sure that you know it was correct with our 
our families are, you know, our families' crest and our families' designs, and we, and we had a you know, special, special costume made for us. It was handmade. It was, you know, the coconut oil was hand scraped by my, you know, by my family, and uh, you know, had very special significance to me. But then we were told that we uh, we weren't allowed to to wear it, and so what happened was. Um, you know, it, we, had, we had spent our whole life getting ready for this Olympics. There was no way we weren't going to, we weren't going to wear it. So we, uh, my coach carried it in his bag and we, and we carried it into the, uh, the Olympic opening uh, ceremony, which is where all the athletes get ready and they, they prepare to march out into the uh, stadium. And then my coach pulled out, our, pulled out our, our costume and we put it on and by the time they got to LMNOP and they were coming up to Togo and then Tonga, we, uh, we were ready and, and, and all oiled up. But we didn't realize uh, how big of a splash it would, it would be. <laughs> I don't think anyone could have imagined what, what came next, to be honest. When Entertainment Tonight, the, American, uh, the big American publication says the internet came to a grinding halt, everyone got very excited. Now, the... Olympics sporting performance probably didn't go as well as you kind of hoped. Can you describe what happened with your taekwondo performance? I guess the, one of the challenges for me was that the taekwondo competition was on the last day of the of the of the actual Olympic period and I had all this stuff happen in the opening so there were you know my coach was keeping me focused and we were trying to maintain our uh, you know our composure throughout that period uh whilst being exposed to all of uh, all of this new stuff and you know what at the end of the day i went in there and in the first round of every taekwondo tournament 50 percent of all the athletes will lose and be out i went up against a fighter who beat me on the day there's nothing else to it on that day he was better than me if i fight him again it'll be a different story but on the day, I have no excuses. He did his best. I did my best. I lost. I'm still happy. Do you think the, the whirlwind from the opening ceremony did affect your sporting performance? I mean, how can't it affect your sporting performance? I, I'd never been exposed to that sort of, you know, to that sort of stuff. So if it affected me subconsciously, you know, perhaps, but I can't. I, I can never say that uh, I can never find any kind of excuse. I'm a sportsman, and as a sportsman, I have to present my best. And if it if it falls short, then I have to own that and say I fell short on the day. On the day, I fell short. So leading up to 2018, from taekwondo to cross-country skiing, it's not the obvious fit. Uh, why did you choose that particular sport to go and represent Tonga at Pyeongchang? Well, I'd like to say that I was drunk at the time, except I've never drunk in my life. Uh, but it's because it, it's, I guess it's because it, it's not the obvious thing that I decided to do it. You know, 20 years to become an Olympian. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe I have the magic formula. Maybe, maybe I have the right mindset. Let me go and try it in a sport that, that I've never done before in an area that I've, never really experienced the snow and and see what happens you know my body wasn't built for for long distance for cross-country skiing it was built for i guess more the you know the the explosive short shorter sort of taekwondo 
matches. So, um, you know, there was there was a lot of challenges that we had to overcome to to get there. And I thought that that's why I have to take up this sport because it just didn't make sense. And I wanted to test my theory and uh, that time it worked. <laughs> I read, I think it was in The Guardian, that it seemed hilariously bonkers and up there with the Jamaican bobsledders, a person who spent his entire life in the tropics is now doing one of the most physically demanding, if not the most physically demanding sport in the entire Olympic program, summer or winter. There is a serious part to it, though, as well, because you got into a lot of debt, didn't you? How much debt did you get up to in the end? The, uh, the, there's a lot of different versions of debt. Uh, the financial debt was around 40,000 40, in, in, in bills, but there was debt in terms of I'd, that whole year between Rio and the Winter Olympics, I had sacrificed everything. I had, there were lots of uh, other opportunities that came my way after Rio, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and for a Winter Olympics in a sport I didn't, I didn't know how to do, the highest VO2 max sport. And so, you know, I, I, lost, I lost many things. I lost, you know, relationships. I lost opportunities. I lost money. But this is the price, this is the price we have to pay to become an Olympian. And, uh, you know, would I pay that price again? Absolutely. I don't think you're going to like this, but I remember when you were in Iceland and you were going over to the qualifier, and I was just like, I don't know how he's going to do this. I don't know. I was like, I wasn't too positive about your, uh, about your chances. And then you did. And then I found out your story as well. I was, I, what happened in, in Iceland before the race. Could you just describe that? That sounds like it's from a Hollywood film, what happened in Iceland. You know, there, there's a lot of people that, that want to partner with us to, to make it into a Hollywood film. But the, the story that happened there was that I had come, I had had around, from memory, around nine races, and I'd come last in around four or five of them. But the position means nothing to me. What means something is that we push on forward. So we had, I, I got stuck in Turkey. I, I couldn't get a, a ticket. Uh, I'd missed the flight to what I thought was the last race over in, uh, in Croatia. And I'm stuck at the Turkish airport. I call up my brother and I said, There's, I've, I've given everything I can and now I'm stuck in a, in a country with no money left. And so he, um, he, he had some points left on his, on his frequent flyers and he, he flew me on a one-way ticket to Iceland where the other two athletes from Mexico and Chile they had also flown across with one-way tickets because we had just been told, we'd been told that there was one race left and it was in the Arctic Circle on, uh, on in, uh, not Reykjavik, Islia Fjord. So it's, it's uh, a day's drive out of the main capital of, uh, of Iceland. The problem was, was that a snowstorm had come and so we were, uh, all the flights flying in there had, had been canceled. So we had to hire a car and for three, three days, there's, there's three of us in this car trying to drive through a snowstorm. They'd blocked off all the roads. But the, the last bit was, was that we, we had given up everything. We're going to be at that race. We had, said, we had said between each other, it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to be at that race. We have no ticket back home. We're going to get there somehow. And so we drove and we, we called up Iceland Roads. And what they told us, they said that a number of avalanches had gone over the road uh, near Islia Fjord, 
and that's why the roads, that last road was blocked. So we decided we were gonna drive our car up to this first avalanche, park the car, it will probably be taken off by another avalanche and then hike 20, 30 kilometers to the race. Um, and not worry about the car, that was tomorrow's problem. And so we, we, we drove up and by the time we got there, three days later through that snowstorm, they had, they had just cleared the, the path for us to get there. <laughs> it's such a great story. I love the bit where it's like, yeah, okay, uh, I think we're just going to have to walk. <laughs> it's like the most impractical thing to do in Iceland. Well, we have a very, we have a very famous saying in, uh, in Tonga is uh, when, when the boat breaks down, we swim. When you can't swim, you float. And so there's always a way, and you know, we believe that there's always a way to, to achieve the things that you want to achieve. Incredible. So to Pyeongchang, back to South Korea, not staying in a preschool classroom this time. Um, I was working behind the scenes for Olympic Channel at the opening ceremony. I actually grabbed a selfie with you, full disclosure. Uh, I, I, just before you went out there. Uh, but that is kind of what it's like out in, in that like kind of holding bit, isn't it? It's like party time. Everyone's talking to each other. Everyone's excited. It's the Olympics are about to start. There's a really amazing atmosphere. And uh, I remember beforehand, and correct me wherever, wherever I'm wrong, I think, didn't you keep, people kept saying, Peter, are you going to take your shirt off? And you kept saying, no, 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 shirt's staying on this time, it's very cold. Uh, and then lo and behold, what happened? Um, was, was, was that, is, do I remember that correctly? You know, we, we kept the shirt on uh, right up to the last minute um, because it's cold, you don't, you don't be standing out there for- uh, uh, Hey, it's not just cold, is it? It's like- It's freezing. It was like minus 20. <laughs> yes, it was, uh, it was, I think it was minus 20 or, or around there that day and uh, it was freezing, so um, you know we had to had to have a, a thicker layer of uh, coconut shiny oil. <laughs> so the actual race was also totally incredible. Um, you didn't finish last, nowhere near last actually. Twenty three minutes behind the eventual winner in the fifteen kilometer freestyle race. When you write it down like that, like a Wikipedia page, it doesn't sound like it's gonna completely break the internet or any of those sort of things but if you watch the footage of what happened especially with your Mexican friend can you describe that moment of when you all got together and you finished that race it was uh, it was really interesting because uh Herman from Mexico and Yona from Chile we 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 toured together but uh you know they both have really big hearts but the unfortunate thing is that, or unfortunate for me, is that Herman had beaten me in every, every 15 kilometer race. The 10 kilometers were okay because it was a shorter distance and I can do better. But every 15 kilometer race, Herman had just absolutely beaten me. And I was just thinking, and I said to him, I said, I'm not gonna lose to you in front of everyone here at the, at the Olympics. Um, so we were racing with each other so that we didn't come last. Like that's, you know, that's, uh, that it was like this internal competition between us. It was uh, just all in good fun. And so we, you know, we gave it our absolute best. And, and on the last lap, I felt that I was moving quite, I, I felt that I was moving quite well. And I, 
I looked over at, at her man and he had given his whole heart, but I could see that he was, he was struggling just a little bit. So I yelled over to him in the last lap. I said, Herman, don't give up, don't give up. And I, you know, I saw him, his spirit, his spirit picked up and uh, I went up the next hill and in my mind, I'm thinking, I, I, I think I might've beaten Herman, yes, yes. But that, it was just this internal rivalry. Like it was, just a, it was just a fun thing. But it really didn't matter because we came up to the end and, um, and I, I stopped and I was always, you know, I looked and I thought, oh, Herman hasn't arrived yet. You know, we, we went through the wars together, whatever happens, we're going to finish together. You know, we share one spirit. We share the Olympic spirit. You know, no one, no one gets left behind. No one comes in by themselves. I was going to wait for him. And, and then he came in in this, in this magical moment, uh, carrying, you know, the, carrying the Mexican flag. And I was just so proud for him because I saw what he had put in just to qualify and the tears he the tears he shed when he, when he called his kids and told them that daddy's going to be an Olympian. So I was there and I, 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 I just wanted to share that with him. And so the dream, the Olympic dream, it's not over, is it? You're, you're, you're going to do, going to go out there and try another, another go. <laughs> you're going to try and get to Tokyo 2020 in a kayak. Is that right? Ed, the Olympic dream never ends. But our dream now is to be the first person in the modern era to, to represent three unrelated sports at an Olympic Games and, and in successive games. And so for a thousand years, Tongan sailed across the Pacific in their canoes. And so now I think it's appropriate that I come back and, and try and represent that heritage and try and represent the sport that's in my blood, which is canoeing. How are you going training-wise? Because you have to be very lean for cross-country skiing. Uh, the weight falls off, basically. Surely you've got to bulk up for the kayaking. How's that been going? Yeah, so I've, I've, put, on, I've put on another 10 kilograms of, uh, of bulk for kayaking. Hopefully most of it's muscle. A little bit of it is, uh, is extra pudding from, from the start of the year. Amazing. Um, what, what is your diet like at the moment? Have you got some like crazy, are you eating like 12 raw eggs of a morning? Are you, um, what's the bull cup like? The, uh, the, so I, I go by the Polynesian diet. We have a lot of uh, seafood in our diet. So we see food and we eat it. Um, but it's, it's, it's certainly not 12 eggs. It's uh, probably 80%, 80% clean food and, and 20%, you know, some of those those dirty, naughty calories uh, sneak their way in there. <laughs> and what's for dinner tonight? Coconuts. <laughs> no, tonight we have uh, tonight we have fish and sweet potato, and we'll wash it down with a coconut. So, I'm keeping it keeping it very very earthy. The food that I'm eating at the moment, uh, not so many preservatives and negative things. And what is kind of the qualification route? For the Olympics, what are the big events that you or people should be looking out for and, uh, you know, hoping to cheer you on? The qualification events that I'm aware of are the World Championships in Hungary, I believe, which is in August. As uh, that's one, one way in. And the other opportunity is to become number one in Oceania at the Oceania Olympic qualification event, which will 
I believe it will be held next February. I, I was my question was going to be what would you say to the critics, but I guess you you don't even listen to them, do you? You're not. It's it's not even on your radar, I suppose. A absolutely. You know, if anyone asks why, then the answer is going to be be why not. I think people are very scared to. People are very scared to, to chase after dreams and goals. They're scared of what mommy's going to say, what daddy's going to say, what the person on the internet who they've never met is going to say. We, we don't have that fear. We're, um, you know, we, we're trying to represent our country and our family the best way that we can. And in order to do that, the mountain doesn't move just because the wind blows, blows stronger. It, it really just doesn't, it really doesn't factor in into to what we do because you know, I, I was brought up by my parents to try to understand who I was as a person. I came into all this, um, you know, from very humble and 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 tough beginnings, and I and I know who I am as a person. So when when people say stuff, it's always a reflection on uh, it's a reflection on them, not on not on us. Beautiful, Peter. Thank you so much for telling us your story, and uh, have yeah, have a lovely uh, have a lovely dinner. Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my story and uh, stay tuned. There's a, there's a third Olympics coming. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. Olympic, Olympic Channel, Channel podcast. podcast. Big thanks to Peter. He just makes everything seem so possible. You should go and give him a follow on Instagram, Peter Tufua. It's Peter underscore T-O-F-U-A. He also says that he's going to try and represent Tonga in Taekwondo in Tokyo. And he has a book out called The Motivation Station, which you can get your hands on now. Remember, if you like this episode to whack it up on your Instagram story and tag at Olympic Channel and Peter, maybe you could put the most motivational thing that Peter said in the interview in a quote. I know he would absolutely love that. And so would I. I am at Eddie Knowles with an I and an E on all socials. If you are seeking more inspiration, then... Have a look at our interview with two-time Olympic champion cyclist Christina Vogel. Just over a year ago, she was in a crash that has seen her paralysed from the breast down. Incredibly, she holds no anger about the accident. Here's a clip. I not have to forgive the person because I had never anger. With your family, you can't control them. They're different. Have they been as forgiving and as accepting of your situation? I never asked them. I'm scared to... Yeah, to question that. I've put a link in the episode description for that one. Remember that if you are feeling the motivation from the podcast, leave us a five-star review on the podcast app and put in the best motivational quote you found in the reviews. It helps other people find us and hopefully it just spreads a bit of positivity about in the world. Right, that's it for now. See you soon. Think, Think like an Olympian. Olympian.